Hello and welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Happy July, everyone. Can you believe we're already halfway through 2021? Time flies when you're having fun, I guess, and anime's pretty fun. Now, with the new season comes a whole new state of anime. By my count, I've got about 30-ish shows to check out this season before selling on what I'll be following along with. That's definitely a bit less than the past season, which had some close to like 50 shows, albeit including some Netflix exclusives. That being said, that review is going to be happening next episode since, you know, I actually have to watch the first episodes before deciding. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to go take one last look at this past spring 2021 anime season and grade all of the shows I watched on my 5-point scale as well as give out my various anime of the season awards where applicable. Uh, there will be, I guess, mild spoilers here. I'll try to give them a shout out before I actually talk about them, but, you know, you have been warned. Uh, in any case, let's hop in, shall we? First up, we have the shows, which after one or two episodes, uh, I pretty much knew I wasn't going to be watching. Uh, I pretty much ended up dropping off the bat. Uh, these were Battle Athletics Daikunai Restart, uh, Bisonin Tentaiden, uh, uh, Pretty Boy Detective Club, uh, Blue Reflection Ray, Cardfight Vanguard Overdress, Sestas the Roman Fighter, Dragon Ear Wokao, or Dragon Ghost House Hunting, Fairy Ranmaru, uh, Ichirande Nagatoro-san, Don't Bully Me Nagatoro, uh, Koi Toyobu Niwa Kimochi Wa Worry, or It's Too Sick to Call This Love, um, Full Dive RPG is crappier than reality, I'm not gonna try to pronounce Japanese on that one, um, same with Romcom, Where the Childhood Friend Won't Lose, um, also Seitonen Hakentimasu, or Kobanets Will Be Dispatched, and Seven Nights Revolution, so these are shows which, you know, off the bat I didn't watch, but, uh, you know, basically wanted to give account for those here. Um, we also have the shows on Netflix. Uh, I talked about some of these last episode, um, and you know, a couple of these I ended up dropping after the first episode. Uh, this is Way of the House Husband and Reckoning of Ragnarok. Um, I'm going to give my full thought. Uh, I'm in the process of working through the next couple of shows. I haven't quite finished yet, so I can't really give my full thoughts on them just yet. Uh, those will be Eden, Yasuke, Trese, and I actually started Godzilla Singular Point. Um, I didn't talk about this in the most recent episode because at the time it hadn't come out yet, but it came out actually last Friday. Um, and I'm only about two episodes in or so, and while it's not a big monstrous stompy fight like say Godzilla vs. Kong was, um, it's definitely a mystery element and a scientific angle for a bunch of nerdy characters that I'm enjoying, so uh, I'll make my way through this and, and let you know what it, what it comes up with. Um, you know, plus the ending track is by Polkadot Stringway, which is a, I'm a big fan of their work, so you know, that's got it going for it. Um, in addition, we also got an announcement that the following shows that were technically airing on J Japanese television this season uh, are going to also be making their global debut on Netflix uh, later in August, uh, so I'll give them a short check then, um, Salmon King as well as Eden's Zero. Now, moving on, there are some shows that I, you know, I, at the time, didn't, didn't really want to say I dropped them per se, um, but I haven't had time to finish them yet. Uh, you know, partly was because this season, uh, if you remember a couple episodes back, I did a couple of watches of, you know, of all the Studio Ghibli works I hadn't seen yet, um, and I still have to finish that, by the way. Um, but with all of those going on, I just didn't have time to really keep up with all of the shows this season. So some of these got put on the back burner. Now, whether or not I'll ever come back to them and, you know, move them, or, or if I'll just end up moving to them to drop officially, uh, we don't know. Um, there definitely was some promise in these shows uh, to start out with, so uh, definitely, you know, wanted to give these a shout out, but I can't really talk about these too much in depth. Um, these are Bakuten, uh, Burning Kabaddi, Pharaoh My Kramer, Joran, Princess of Snow and Blood, Mars Red, which granted, I think I said I did drop. Um, it's a really great show from what I can tell, it's just that I don't think I was like a 
literary mind space enough to fully appreciate it. So, um, yeah, that one is, I guess, gonna probably going to be dropped, but I could definitely hopefully come back to it at some point. Um, we, let's see, we also have Masuo no Oto, uh, The Snow White Notes, uh, The Saint's Magic Power is Omnipotent, Shadow's House, Slime 300, uh, The World Ends With You, and Tokyo Revengers. So moving on, let's actually walk, talk about some shows I actually did see. Um, so first off, we'll start with shows that are ongoing from last season. Um, well, okay, this first one I didn't actually see. So you know, anyway, this episode is airing, uh, I believe, July third. And if you've been following, uh, you know, anime social media the past week or so, you've probably heard that the ending, uh, the, you know, the thirteenth episode OVA of Wonder Egg Priority came out about three months after the end of the uh, of the twelve episode season and. By all accounts, it wasn't that great. Um, I say by all accounts because, again, I haven't seen it myself. Um, I know, I know, I should probably watch the media I'm reviewing myself before making my own decisions. But the truth of the matter is, you know, I actually didn't finish the actual season of One Direct Priority. Um, you know, I got up to episode 8 or 9, 8 being the um, being the recap episodes because they had production issues. And I figured, look, you know, it, I'm going to wait until to see how it kind of pans out. Obviously, they said there was going to be another episode. So I'm like, okay, I have time. You know, definitely uh, the winter season was super busy, so I didn't really want to try to cram it in. So, all right, I'll just wait until the end of this spring season to watch the, the ending. Um, but, you know, obviously requiring me going back to watch, you know, episodes 9 through 12. And I made it through episode 9, but, you know, it just, again, it's a show that really didn't be in a particular headspace for. Um, and hearing that, you know, the ending wasn't that good by most people, whose opinion I respect, um, said it's just, yeah, it's not just something that I, I I was super interested in trying to make time, you know, trying to rush myself to force to watch it for the, just for this episode. So um, maybe I'll come back to it again at some point in the future. Maybe not. You know, I will say, you know, the art and the imagery uh, that we did see out, at least in the first eight episodes, was pretty fabulous. Um, though, again, caveat, apparently the production issues uh, on the last few episodes were super hectic. Um, if the recap episode wasn't an indicator in of that themselves, which they needed to actually recruit animators from Twitter and overseas to finish it up, which... They had like three episodes, three months to work on this, but you know, apparently they only got around to working on it within the last month or so, which just seems like poor management all around. Um, anyway, this is just the same. It's the same. It's a bit of bunch of wasted potential, um, at least production wise. Uh, Story wise, you know, I think conceptually, at least the first couple of episodes, it definitely seemed like there was going something there. But again, you know, based off of third hand reports, um, it doesn't seem like it really nailed the landing on what it was trying to say. Um, and it didn't really have, you know, for all the symbolism it put in the early episodes, it just didn't have you know a, a, something meaningful or or well-founded to say at, at least it feels like so uh, maybe the writing was just too ambitious and just couldn't keep up with what the uh, what the production was giving to it so um, yeah I, that's all I guess I have to say on one like priority until I end up actually seeing it myself. Uh, one show from last season I also put on hold uh, due to having too many shows was uh, and was uh, the Back Arrow, um, you know, and you know this one admittedly wasn't as popular as a Wonder Egg Priority was, um, but I thought there was some potential here, uh, mostly after the fact that the writer was Kazuki Nakashima, who also wrote a bunch of trigger shows I like BNA, Killer Kill, Promare, and Gurren Lagann. Admittedly, you know, there's definitely a lot of story beats in Back Arrow that you know laid out a similar, you know. That laid lay the, the groundwork for potential. Let's go kind of crazy and, and end up in space kind of thing. Uh, that Nakasima's other works are kind of known for, with you know a bit of bit of deeper symbolism in there. And you know uh, the thing that would I think get me to go back and finish the series would be to know that they had that kind of similar ending. So I actually waited until the final episode aired, and I just watched just the last episode. Um, and what I have to report is that, yes, they do go to space. Um, yes, apparently it goes kind of like spirals out of control into something crazy. Uh, that, so, you know, it has that going for it. That being said, 
I think this has the opposite issue that Wonder Egg Priority has, where if Wonder Egg had a lot of really great production value to it, at least, you know, despite all of the uh, the production issues, but it looked really great to look at, uh, Back Arrow, uh, you know, for all the writing that it had behind it, I don't think it, it reached out to that to, to match that, right? Um, I, it made me realize one of the things I love about Gurren Lagann is just how exaggerated and how, how much it takes use of the form of animation to really stretch and, you know, Break out into something that's not that couldn't be done in person, um, which you know I guess mechs kind of in, in do, but you know just that real like breaking the laws of physics that Gurren Lagann does, um, and that that's part of the appeal of spiraling out of control. Um, Bakayo doesn't really do, and you know the fact that it just in anything this made me appreciate Gurren Lagann more for being able to walk that tightrope um, of balancing the writing with the with the with the animation and having them uh, complement each other. So. While conceptually, you know, the ending of, of Back Arrow feels very grandiose to some degree, um, the animation just doesn't reach the same height. So, unfortunately for it, even if I know how it's going to end, uh, I won't be going back to watch the other 11 episodes, and I'll, I'll, I'll be counting this as being dropped, unfortunately. Um, we also have the monthly anime, uh, Maiko San Chino Kamenai San, uh, which I believe were halfway through the 12 episodes um, of Cute Maiko and Home Cooked Food uh, shenanigans. Not much more to say. We'll be here for another six months or so. It's just pretty comfy food to catch, you know, once a month or so. Now, moving on, uh, I'm not quite sure how many episodes D4DJ Petite Mix has left, uh, since it doesn't start neatly on the beginning of a season. But in any case, as someone who's gotten pretty deep into the D4DJ mobile rhythm game, uh, it's a great supplement to all the characters in that game. Uh, so you know, definitely enjoying that for what it's worth. Um, but I don't know if I would fully be able to recommend it to somebody who's, who's not uh, invested in the D4DJ franchise. Um, and another another ongoing series, so that's a bit of a sequel in that sense, is uh, My Hero Academia Season 5. Um, and, you know, the best way I can describe it is, I mean, it's fine, right? Like, I mean, Bones does a great job adapting the source material as is. Doesn't really add too much more to it. Like, say, the Demon Slayer Ufo Table adaptation does. But it doesn't fall short, right? And, and doesn't, you know, butcher the source material. So, you know, whether you like it will come down to whether or not you think you would like the original manga. Um, which I guess I generally do. I think it's a very competent Sonen, Sonen Jump, uh, Sonen manga. Um, maybe not the best thing ever, but it's definitely super competent. So there's a reason it's like the lo- one of the lo- longer running series in Jump currently. Um, so, you know, I think I may be due for calibration of my My Animalist. I think I previously had most My Hero Academia series at like a four out of five or so. Uh, realistically, I think it's probably down to a three out of five, just in general. Not doing anything bad, but I think just like, you know, the the... I don't. I wouldn't want it to be too inflated of a score. So, um, in any case, this season is still going on into this coming summer season. So, I'm not going to be putting putting down a score for it officially just quite yet. Um, they do have a movie coming out or so, which looks like it should be fun, and also looks like in the anime they're going to be rearranging some of the arcs. Um, you know that, that are going to be adapted. So we'll see how that goes. All right, now it's time to get to the meat of the episode and give out some legit scores. So first up, we're going to start with, again, the uh, on the sequels, um, and we're going to start with uh, Slime Diaries. Now, this is the spin-offs for the time I was reincarnated as a slime. You know, the winter season had the first half of the second season, and the second half will be airing this coming summer season. So in the spring season, we got a spin-off Slice of Life spin-off. Um, now, the events of this season are apparently set in the middle of the first season of uh, the Slime uh, slime Isekai, um, chronicling the day-to-day life of the extremely large cast you normally don't see on screen. Now, for me, part of the appeal of the original Isekai was 
the world building Age of Empires type stuff, uh, which unfortunately as the series got on and the stakes got bigger, um, became less and less of a focus um, as, as it became more plot relevant or less plot relevant. So, you know, since the series was originally a light novel, uh, in the anime adaptation, naturally, there's a lot of world building that would be cut out, uh, even some specific characters. So um, the, this is an anime that's a chance for it to be able to adapt that. And, you know, it's pretty cute. Uh, we basically go over the course of an entire year uh, in the Jura Forest, um, you know, Monster City, from spring to summer, the fall to winter, with all the holidays within and all the shenanigans like beach episodes and, and matsuris and so on. Um, you know, the episodes uh, are generally pretty much a, a vignettes of slice of life. There's absolutely zero plot whatsoever or zero stakes, really. Um, you know, actually, I put this on hold for a while while I was doing the Ghibli Watts, but, you know, I ended up coming back to it uh, when I was done um, or taking a break from it uh, to, to wind down and lull myself to sleep. So, uh, you know, this is definitely a, a fun way to do that. Uh, some of the character designs, uh, most notably Gopta and Gaburu, uh, are definitely a bit different from the standard series, which took a little bit of getting used to, uh, but ultimately, I did get used to them. Um, I will say, probably my favorite character depiction, depicted here was the uh, the Orc King Geld and the Goblin Girl, uh, who we became really close friends with, who they basically didn't say anything to each other, but you could just tell there was a lot of heart there, which you know really made this uh, really made this something really made that relationship something fun to watch. So, uh, also training as a part of the snack bar was just uh, definitely a vibe. So, uh, if you're a fan of the slime music hype, give this one a shot. Uh, overall, I think this will just be a solid three out of five for me. Nothing too ambitious, but you know, not it, it's it's very well executed uh, in any case. Uh, next up, we have Zombieland Saga. Um, I had been Zombieland Saga just before this spring season uh, to specifically be able to uh, watch this series, and boy, do I, not, do I did not regret doing that at all. Uh, the first season in and, uh, and, and of itself was, you know, definitely in my wheelhouse. As you know, I'm not generally a fan of idol shows, and, and the ones I do like are those that are a little bit wacky. And this definitely does have the wackiness to it, even though definitely as this as the series has progressed, um, it's definitely become a lot more just conventional idols, so just it just happened to be zombies. But uh, in any case, um, the second season picks up right after the end of the first season, which, funnily enough, it goes through March 2020, but ends like just before the COVID pandemic actually hits, so uh, that that's kind of funny to see the, the real-time date, so to speak. Um, and, you know, there's an off-screen event that apparently happens between seasons, which we learn about later on, uh, which is a really bold move, to be quite honest. And, um, you know, it, it's about them kind of over overcome that particular challenge. Um, obviously, the first season was really about setting them up as characters, as who they are, what they're about, and, and Sakura specifically overcoming a specific struggle. Here, you know, they do have a, a central struggle, but it's not quite as much like a, as much of a philosophical struggle as, as the first season had of who am I and what am I trying to do and, and so on. Um, you know, this is just them kind of just deal with a problem and, you know, I, it's, I think it's to the show's credit that they basically were able to solidly characterize this them the, the cast so well in the first season that we don't really need that in this season. We just got to see them, you know, bounce off each other and and, and accomplish stuff. So um, there is some development, granted, overall that they still grow as characters. Um, it's just not like as as much of like a discovery phase, as much as like a you know watching over them proudly kind of thing. Uh, probably the hypest part for me is it was the two episode um, Saga Jihen episodes uh, focused on Yugiri's 
life in the Meiji era, um, which also introduced a little bit more of the supernatural elements of the show, which, you know, I, I appreciate I will say I appreciate it. Um, ultimately, it's a super solid show in particular um, with the production quality of, of the CG song and dance segments being especially standout. Now, while it's not completely groundbreaking anymore uh, after the first season, which really was groundbreaking, it's just too much fun for me to really put anything less than a four out of five. Um, I will say, though, the last 10 seconds of the final episode, that's got to be hooked for season three, right? Or at least the movie. I mean, they, they can't just leave it there, right? Um, also, shout out to the uh, to the um, manga, uh, which you can read on the Zombieland Saga subreddit, which people have translated, uh, which tells the story of the legendary Yamada Tai. All right, in any case, uh, the last sequel I want to talk about is SSSS Dan Zenon. Um, at the start of the season, we weren't quite sure if it was going to be actually a sequel or not, or just in the same general universe as Trigger's other mecha homage to the Tokugatsu uh, era SSSS Gridman. Um, as it stands, though, midway through, we got a character from Gridman uh, showing up, so we basically confirmed it is a sequel. Now, it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what it is in Dan Zenon that made me like it so much. Uh, going back to Gridman, I think it, it was a marriage of compelling... Uh, creative mecha action, uh, you know, combined with a deep and inter and intra personal relationship building and development of its characters, while also paying homage to the Tokusatsu series of all that clearly had a lot of passion behind it. That was what made you the made me love the original. So I can't say the plot writing in Dinosaur is perhaps as fleshed out as what Gridman's was ultimately. Like the twist at the end of of Gridman is still something I just remember very clearly. Um, you know, ultimately, I think the character writing is a little bit stronger here, right? So, like, you know, if if the themes of, of Gridman were about, you know, uh, a lot of a lot more introspection, so to speak, um, I think the uh, Gridman is definitely, oh, oh yeah, Dinosaur is really about interpersonal relationships and and interacting with other people. Um, you know, and I mean, there is also you know the, the tagline of SSSSS. Um, in Gridman, it was for you know special signature to save a soul. Um, whereas you know in in Dinosaur, it's scars, souls, sign like stars. Um, I really think that hits on what Dinosaur's other central theme is, right? Like dealing with grief and pain and loss and the scars those leave behind while being able to move forward. And you know, in a, in a sense, they actually were dealing with a lot of the same topics that uh, One Deck Priority was trying to. But where they think a bit of clearer focus on what it was trying to say about them. Part of what sells it, I think, is that the characters are just really realistic here, um, despite being in like a mecha series. Like just the way you know uh, the the two main characters kind of interact with each other, um, just feels you know it, it doesn't feel like the snappy anime dialogue. There's definitely like awkward pauses, long pauses, like the, the infamous scene of her eating the churro, right, or running back you know after leaving real quick just to tell her something she forgot. Like that time just made it feel so much more real and relatable. Um, after that, you know, the great as always in mecha action series and. I know I'm, I'm filming on my words on what exactly makes Zanazan so great. Um, check out, you know, I think Canada Perfect has a really great video on on more on the production side of it, but you know, um, on 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 uh, Dinazanon, and you know, it, it's definitely might be my trigger fanboy showing as well. But I just love it so much, and I just gotta give it a five out of five for me. But the fact that they've also confirmed that the next uh, project in the Gridman universe will be a Dinazanon Gridman crossover is also really hype as well. So. Uh, glad that it's not the end of, of the of the SSSS series for now. Um, anyway, in any case, being the highest rated sequel show so far, um, Dinazanon is also going to be my sequel anime of the season for spring 2021. All right, moving on to new series this season. Uh, the first I want to talk about is To Your Eternity. Now, technically, To Your Eternity is continuing on into next season. However, for me, the, the ride stops here. Um, the first episode of To Your Eternity... I think might low-key be one of my top five, even top three greatest single anime episodes 
ever done. Um, as a standalone sword story, it's just sublime. It can be entered into art, into film festivals as is. However, you know, the, the series started to lose me as the c- adventures continued onward, right? And maybe it's a case of, of, of misplaced expectations. Um, but in any case, right? So, you know, the pacing, I think, of those adventures, uh, those continued adventures with Fushi, uh, the main character, um, coming across different groups of humans was just felt really slow to me, right? Um, and I just couldn't felt stay engaged, right? It doesn't feel like too much time has passed despite him supposedly being, right, like an immortal uh, being, right? Like two, the other day my translation is to your to you the immortal. Um, and, you know, I, like, I made it through these first 12 episodes and it just feels like the story just meant to show you characters who you really like and then rip them away from you without any remorse and make you feel really bad, which isn't the great thing that I really want in my anime. I mean, yeah, we have some happiness throughout, but you know ultimately it's going to be taken away from you. Um, after the fact that there's like this weird sci-fi subplot going on of like Fusi versus like these beings called the Knockers or whatever, right? Like that's just not again. I think what I was really looking for here. I think like you know conceptually, right? Like oh, there's this alien orb that comes down to Earth and it has to learn what it means to be human by interacting with them over the course of years and decades and centuries and millennia. Like that is a really compelling story for me. But turn it into like oh yeah, the humans are just kind of incidental along the way as he has to deal with this alien threat that that threatens them. And you know like the alien threat ultimately is what taking is what taking them those humans away from him, it would be really much more impactful, I feel like, if the characters just grew old and he outlived them, right? Like, that really sells home the whole point of it being, like, an immortal alien. Um, you know, uh, may- maybe, you know, if, if the pacing was a little bit faster, right? Like, we go through maybe a different story, like, every cha- ep- episode, maybe every other episode to give us time to really get to know the characters before, you know, he goes, he goes past them. Like, I think that might have probably been, like, a better, better for me, at least. Um, but as it is, right, like, again, it doesn't get the sense of, of, of him being uh, an immortal being. And I have just lost all interest in the premise at this point. Um, I do sense the writing of, you know, the original creator, uh, Yoshitoki Oyema, through here. And I loved her other work, The Silent Voice. But I think what The Silent Voice had that this one doesn't have is that even if there was despair and pain for The Silent Voice, um, there's still ultimately a happy ending that you could, you know, take something away from, even if it felt a little bittersweet. The other part was, of course, you know, being a movie that, you know, had to tell a story within two hours, like it was wrapped up really fast. Here, you know, it just feels like it's dragging on. So, uh, in any case, I'm probably going to be dropping to your eternity. Um, you know, I've also heard uh, again through the grapevine, not saying this for sure, but apparently, you know, the the manga apparently doesn't get as good as like the characters moving forward aren't quite as interesting as the ones we've run into here. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to rate it since I'm gonna, since I'm going to be dropping it. Um, but yeah, that that's to your to your eternity. Um, now, one series I did finish, uh, looking again at the sorts, we have uh, uh, Gloomy Naughty Grizzly. Now, I said at the start of the season, this one felt like a version of hyper-violent and gory Happy Tree Friends episode mixed with some of the pet anime I've been watching. Um, this, show knows, this show knows exactly what it's want to be uh, and, what, and, and, and what it's trying to go for. It's a weird juxtaposition of cute, fluffy uh, pink teddy bears with hyper-violent gore meant for a quick laugh over the course of a minute. Ultimately... Uh, pretty much doesn't accomplish real too much aside from a couple chuckles here and there, um, which I think gives it no, it's not a bad so per se, just not very ambitious at all. So I think I'll give it like a two out of five. Uh, moving along, we also have the sword series Yakunaro Mug Cup Mo, or Let's Make a Mug. Uh, this one is in the vein of cute girl tourism advertisement shows, uh, similar to you know Eurocamp or the aforementioned Zombieland Saga. Um, this time, advertising Tajimi City and their pottery industry. Now, while this is a sword, it actually is. 
and has a normal time slot length, uh, being split between a 14-minute episode combined with a nine-minute live action segment of the seiyuu of the main girls visiting Tajimi City, uh, which I didn't watch the live action segment, hence counting it as a sort. Um, as far as the anime part goes, the formula is pretty standard at this point. Girl moves to a new town, discovers a new hobby, which for some reason really speaks to her, um, and she has you know senpai and classmates to help her along. Uh, in this case, she's not you know particularly gifted at it, but she really has the enthusiasm for it and, and he really tries hard to make it better. There is some slight character conflict and exploration of her wanting to, you know, feel validation of her pottery from her dad, uh, given that her mom used to be a, uh, a pottery maker herself um, before she passed away. So, spoilers, I guess, but, you know, that's kind of the premise. Um, so, yeah, uh, but, you know, but it doesn't dig too deep into that. And unfortunately, it also doesn't really dig too deep into the ins and outs of the technical elements of pottery making. Uh, you know, mostly mentioning them in passing as it's necessary to move the plot forward. I think compared to like my gold standard for like cute girls doing cute things, tourism shows, uh, i.e. Eurocamp, this one for some reason doesn't feel like it has the same heart to it per se. Um, like all the like 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 it definitely feels like Eurocamp just has like an extra level of detail to it, uh, which this one just feels like it's lacking just a little bit. Not not, not to say that it's bad per se, um, but it just doesn't have quite the same level of comfy to it. Uh, maybe it's the, the the music choices or the character designs or just the pacing of the show really or the focus on more conflict as opposed to just like being in the moment and enjoying the act of doing whatever it is they're doing. Um, so overall, I think I'll give this series a three out of five. Um, you know, kind of by default, I think this does get my Swords Anime of the Season award uh, compared to not Gloomy Naughty Grizzly or D4DJ Petite Mix. Um, for what it's worth, you know, it did get a second season announced, so we have that to look forward to. Uh, moving on to full-length series. So we have the second half of Storm and Spiders So What, aka the Spider Isekai. Now, to be honest, I haven't watched every episode, but that's only because the final episode was actually delayed to today, uh, Saturday, that this episode comes out, uh, due to various production delays, which kind of hints how the show is ending up. Uh, now, the animation for the series as a whole has been kind of hit or miss, right? Like, it's mostly done in CG, especially for the segments focused on Kumoko the spider, um, since trying to hand animate a spider and all the eight legs would be pretty rough. Um, however, the last three episodes, the use of 3D CG animation, especially on the human segments of the show, really reached, I think, I would call it Berserk 2016 levels of bad, maybe? I don't know if it's quite that bad, but it's pretty bad. Um, which, I guess, shouldn't be a surprise, given that the same studio, uh, Milpens, uh, worked on Berserk 2016, uh, so, you know, I guess we should have seen this coming. Um, animation aside, though, the second half, having more focus on the human cast, also for me lowered the overall quality of the show. Not to say that the story in and of itself is, is bad, right? I think reading the light novel summary and the wiki to try to understand what was going on, there are great concepts here that, that marry both the uh, spider part of it and the human part of it, um, which I think work well in a light novel format, but the adaptation just doesn't really do those ideas justice. Uh, Kumiko segments and her struggle to survive in season one and a little bit into season two um, would definitely highlight for me. And while I get that ultimately her storyline again needs to converge with the human portion in, in, in season two, it just felt really sloppily done in the anime. Uh, writing and animation aside, again, credit to Aoyuki for her voice acting, which is as delightful and legendary as ever. Um, and, you know, I also will say slow rolling the twist around, you know, the chronology of narration, um, you know, and see it at, toward the end of season one is, you know, uh, 
I think one of the best narrative twists I've actually seen. Um, ultimately, though, I think the flaws of production and the the human side writing this holds the series back from from being too great. So, how the final episode goes will probably determine if I give it a two or three out of five. Um, or I guess if it pulls it together, a four out of five isn't out of the question, but highly unlikely at this point. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I'll just go ahead for now for this episode. Say it's probably going to be a three out of five. Uh, next up, my other hot take of the season, aside from dropping To Your Eternity, uh, Vivi Floride Ice Song is a super beloved show this season, being the fourth highest rated show of the season on my anime list with north of an 8.0. Um, it has a story from Tape, the uh, writer of ReZero, and the animation from Wit Studio. And I agree, there's a lot of really good points to Vivi, right? Wit flexes their muscles with both animation from choreography to uh character designs, the backgrounds and the facts, and just the whole nine yards, right? I think definitely Wit has some of the best-looking animation in the industry today. Um, visually, you know, it might actually be best-looking so in the season, if I think about it. Um, con- Concept-wise, again, it's a great uh, original idea, right? An AI needs to go back 100 years in the f- from the future um, to try to change history to prevent the robot revolution, which admittedly, the logic of how he gets sent back in time is a little bit shaky, but we'll, we'll, everyone gets a little bit of a hand wave um, in science fiction. Um, and and, you know, going through it, uh, you know, go, and, and this AI goes with it because, you know, her logic her logic is that she needs to uh, make people happy with her singing as missing, so people can't be happy if they're all dead, right? Um, anyway, uh, while the macro story, I think, is fine, the micro story, I think, could have used a little bit more work. Now, the 13 episodes are basically divided into five arcs that comprise the key turning points of her mission, um, with some number of views between each of them. Ultimately, the resolution of, I'd say, the first three arcs was pretty satisfactory. Uh, the, the, the tight two-episode length of each arc means they move along briskly enough. Uh, granted, I do like the, uh, the, the payoff episode, the resolution, a little bit more than the setup ep- episode, but, you know, it's, it, it, that's an ebb and the flow. Um, however, the fourth and fifth arcs having longer lengths means the pacing felt a little bit more off to me, uh, with the build-up being dragged out for not as satisfying a resolution. Um, well, it is satisfying from a visual perspective, but the way that they go about resolving the plot doesn't really feel that satisfying and emotionally cathartic to me. Um, and then there's the final arc. We have the culmination of two parallel plots. Uh, again, spoilers here. Uh, one arc is Vivi trying to save humanity from the robot revolution, which they failed to prevent from happening. It still happens anyway. Um, which, surprise, the revolution comes because, you know, robots have to complete their mission. There's this one robot AI that, there's this one AI that whose mission is to support humanity. And they decide the best way to support humanity, because humanity has become so reliant on robots, is to eliminate humanity and then replace humanity with AI uh, to become the new form of humanity, basically. Uh, it, it's all very convoluted, and um, but very also very predictable just because every basically, basically every robot story that has to deal with, oh, robots have a mission, including one to serve humans, well, that's eventually going to be causing them to, uh, to decide that, hey, the best way to help humans is to get rid of them. So, yeah, this felt super predictable on that regard. And also, what's the point we're supposed to take away from that, right? Like, if... They got to this point because we relied on AIs too much. We just did not have AIs and not develop technology. Then is that like a is it like a luddite you know the, uh, belief here that that Tape is espousing? But in any case, that's that's one plot that she has to resolve. Right? The whole worldwide revolution still happening. The other being is that Vivi tries to discover what it means for her as a robot to sing from the heart, since, you know, obviously it's a very nebulous human term, and so, like, for a robot who doesn't have a heart per se, what does that mean? Um, and the answer is, again, 
fairly generic, if, if anything, right? Like it's, oh, sing from the heart is meaning to embody all the memory of and experiences you've had, which for her is like living over the 100 years. So it's granted, right? The fact that the story is structured over a 100-year period means that it kind of plays into that. So bravo for that, I guess. But, you know, ultimately that's like a very cliche, uh, cliche payoff, which doesn't really feel match like the buildup that we were expecting. So, um, you know, Overall, I think Vivi is a very, very, very pretty looking show. A very, very pretty looking con- container for one of the more mundane and one of the mill messages out there. Now, you know, maybe it's about the way we got there, right? And that's what's supposed to appreciate, which fair. Um, but, you know, again, I think if the payoff for something creatively narrative like this isn't up to snuff, it's going to not going to be held back. Um, and again, I think it's a kind of like one like priority where there's so much promise here where I feel like I felt a little bit let down. Maybe that's why I'm scoring it a little bit lower than I would. I think others would. Um, overall, I think Vivi gets a three out of five for me. Um, Boyd again, mostly off of the production quality that Wit Studio put into it. Uh, moving on, we have a show that is uh, kind of the inverse situation. The production quality uh, is pretty run of the mill. Project Number Nine is not a studio that's known for being the most elite in terms of animation, but I think the writing was just well done and nuanced. Uh, the show I'm talking about is Hijihiro uh, in English, the I saved and brought home a high school girl, um, which ended up surpassing I think many people's expectations. First off, you no, know, just off of that title, uh, it definitely seems sort of sketchy coming in. But as I said at the beginning of the season, um, you know, having read the manga, I knew that Yoshida would take Sayu home and not really try to do anything sexy, but try to set her on the straight and narrow path. Which what happens from there is that there's a story of Sayu's mostly her recovery from her past trauma and mistakes uh, without ever fully crossing the line into creepiness. Um, honestly, when it comes to dramas, I think this is really, I think, going to be my standard moving forward for what I want from a drama like this, where it feels like at the end, of, where, you know, most dramas, you know, everything, it feels super unrealistic because everything so feels so dramatic, which I get that they're like exaggerating the emotions for the sake of drama and making the audience feel it. But, you know, here, you know, I think this is, most dramas have the problem of not feeling realistic and how people would react to things. Um, you know, especially in high school dramas where everything feels so much bigger as a kid, right? Um, adult dramas, I think, are a little bit better because, you know, they don't really have that, unless, of course, the adults act like children. I'm looking at you, rent-a-girlfriend. Um, but here, Sayu does act like a kid, but that's because she is a kid, and that's juxtaposed against the way that you see it and the others act, um, which, you know, are, you know, responsible, you know, kind of logical adults here. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think that contrast is what really uh, helps to so stand apart. And, you know, maybe, sir, maybe the premise of, like, taking home a high school girl who you find on the street, uh, even though it's illegal, is a little bit far, far, far-fetched. But, you know, I'd rather the premise be far-fetched and the reactions to it realistic, because I guess that makes for good television, as opposed to having a very generic, uh, you know, premise, but then having over-the-top reactions, which just doesn't feel like it's rooted in reality. So, like I said up top, animation, animation-wise, nothing super special. But I will admit they did make Sayu look really cute, um, and in, in, a, in a you know I must protect her kind of way, um, especially when she smiles. Um, and bonus points here, you know, this is actually a con- complete adaptation of the light novel series, which just finished. Li- li- the last volume came out just as of the final episode, last couple of episodes were airing. So you know, and also they, as Gig put it, they did not Usagi drop the ball. Though I guess it's open for interpretation, but they didn't really confirm anything here. So you're open to interpret, which I. I am, uh, that it didn't really go that creepy route. So uh, all being told, I think this is, again, one of the better dramas I've seen in a very long time.
time. Uh, so Higgy Hero gets a four out of five from me. Uh, project number nine also being two for two in their adaptations behind this and uh, Jakuchara uh, Tomozaki-kun. Um, definitely has them on the map for me. I'm looking forward to whatever it is they do next. Uh, next up, we have Super Cub. Uh, in a lot of ways, this is a sister series to another series I love, which I mentioned already, Eurocamp. Uh, both of them are ESCK series, uh, cute girls doing cute things, uh, set in the Yamanashi prefecture, both featuring girls making road trips on motorcycles. So it's really no surprise I really enjoyed this one as well. If you've watched Eurocamp, uh, this one basically cuts out most of the more uh, enthusiastic Nadesiko energy um, and instead focuses on the more contemplative Rin moments and vibes. Um, you know, at some point, you know, it's, it's, Subway Club is almost somber in its tone, um, especially with the muted color palette most of the time and heavy use of classical music throughout. Um, but watching this show is almost an exercise in meditation almost, right? The plot and conflict, what little there is, uh, moves along in a way that you pretty much know it's going to be all right in the end. What you're really after is looking, you know, at, at uh, you know, the moments of quiet contemplation along the way, um, which I guess is the, one of the takeaways, though, is because the whole point is about the journey of being on a super cup as opposed to the actual destination. So uh, I guess that ties in thematically very well. Uh, one part I think that might be overlooked is how great the relationship between uh, Koguma and her eventual friends Reiko and C develop over the 12 episodes as C comes out of her shell. Now, C may start off as an introvert and C may end up as an introvert still, but as C mentioned, uh, the super cup has opened up her world uh, indicated by the Wizard of Oz college saturation moments throughout um, and her adorable smiles. So, you know, that just, I think, is just a very feel-good show that ultimately is... I don't think I don't know if it's trying to say anything per se, but it's really more about the vibes more than anything else. And this is definitely one of the most vibey shows uh, of the season. So um, you know, if if looking for a lo-fi classical uh, ESCK anime to vibe to, uh, this is your jam. Super Cup for me got a four out of five, uh, despite basically being an ad for Honda. Now, moving on to my top two shows this season. First up, we have 86. Now, a gritty military wartime mecha show featuring a repressed race uh, forced to fight a war they never really wanted to where no one is safe from being killed off. Uh, what is this, Attack on Titan? Uh, no, but seriously, uh, the parallels probably would probably be a little bit better suited to Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, um, as many have pointed out. Now, 86 actually apparently has a second core this season. Um, this coming uh, fall season as this first season uh, is split core um, so we have you know the summer season off before coming back in October uh, so the story isn't quite done yet and apparently you know, from, according to the source material reader materials it just gets even more crazy from here um, but you know given the break and the fact that there are the first 11 episodes told a complete story in and of itself I'm going to go and give this one a grade um, especially since Mal also has that as like a separate season um, honestly there aren't many bones at all to pick with this in this production you know the writing and character development um, were spot on, even if, as I noted, many characters from the Spearhead Division do get killed off over the course of the season. It's not like the meaningless fodder who you can't relate to. You really get to know them, even in brief glimpses. Like, that that characterization is just really well done. Um, on the flip side, Lena's growth, as he becomes disillusioned with the military, but still stays in it, desperate to find a way to, uh, you know, fight against her squad's fate, while also dealing with her own internalized privilege and racism, is a sight to behold. Especially, I believe, I think it was like episode nine or so where she just like snaps and just goes like really uh really really no nonsense like that was like a really great turn i think for her character um 
you know, animation is pretty solid, both in the slower kind of human set parts that are, you know, drop the drama human parts, as well as kind of the lighthearted slice of life human parts, as well as, you know, the, the more CG Spider-Mac portions. Um, you know, if and I, I won't say the Spider-Mac animation is probably the greatest out there, but it's definitely serviceable enough. Um, if there's anything that stands head and souls above other anime, um, it's the directing of this film. My God. Uh, the, the way that some shots were composited, the transitions between them, how the episodes are structured to invoke maximum emotional impact and thematic resonance um, it's just a thing of beauty and definitely if you're going you're going to watch this pay attention to the directing um, the themes of the show you know may not be anything new such as what Vivi did um, but I think the degree to which the show executes those themes um, it has everything in it lead up to those themes is just so much better I think um, I could be wrong you know of course come the second quarter of the season but for now you know the first season gets a solid 5 out of 5 from me uh, last up is the curious case of Autaxi now, many other content creators have become kind of broken records saying that you should be watching Odd Taxi. Why aren't you watching Odd Taxi? Um, looking at you, Mother's Basement. Um, and that's for a good reason, I would say. I'm not going to go, you know, say it's a perfect 10 out of 10 on Mal for me, which you know be one of the rare shows less than 10, which I've done that for. Um, but it's damn close. I talked a couple uh, seasons ago how much I liked Akudama Drive for its Tarantino-esque mix of dialogue and uh, bloody violence. Now, while Odd Taxi isn't really a bloody violence show per se, um, it definitely amps up the Tarantino-esque dialogue, um, you know, up to like 11, uh, being both very naturalistic, you know, kind of in the same way as Dan and Zeno, which I talked about earlier, uh, where, you know, characters interrupting each other and, and you know, not really being too much written in a way that's like snappy one-liners, uh, but also being infinitely more intricate as well. It's kind of like a puzzle, right? Um, other shows that kind of spring to mind in the way that the, the, the writing of both the dialogue and the way the plot unfolds. Remind me of like Durara or Bacana with their interlocking character arcs, or even Steinsgate, where like, you know, um, you know, there's a mystery episode one that kind of like gets unveiled over the course, and when you look back at episode one, it becomes very obvious all the hints were there. Like that kind of mystery is is just something you is increasingly rare in anime, especially original anime. Um, and Attack can just pull it off superbly. Um, speaking of, you know, all the clues that you can look at, you know, going, you know, the audio dramas that apparently supplement the main anime or canon in the story uh, involving a, a, um, a recording device and a panic that seen in various scenes. So that attention to detail is just outstanding. But in any case, you know, even with the furry-like appearance, which, you know, honestly is pretty plot-relevant, um, I don't want to be too much spoilery here, um, Odd Taxi is a show for everyone, despite looking like it's for furries. Um, I started off the season thinking it would just be, a, you know, a walrus taxi driver's encounters with odd individuals late at night um, gaining insight on what it means to be human <laughs> contrasted against you know being a walrus but um, and you know that is there but I will say that the show is is, is going and you know and, and that is there right like what other shows going to talk about pitfalls of social media or modern day romance or even gotcha games right but you know the mystery woven throughout all those encounters is just so satisfying to see slide and click into place, right? Like a Rubik's Cube or a Rube Goldberg machine or or something else like along those lines. Um, the aesthetic may not be the most flashy, but for dialogue heavy, so you don't really need a flashy uh, Sakuga. And my God, that ending, right? Like one of the biggest flaws I've seen from original anime lately, you know, between Vivi and One Direct Priority is that, you know, you have a great original concept, but the creator just doesn't uh, know how to end on a satisfying note. And, you know, Odd Taxi nails the ending 100%, kind of like almost in like a, almost in like a, a, a Inception kind of level of ending. Um, and, you know, at, to quote another Anituber, uh, Glass Reflections, the ending is paramount, and without a doubt, Autaxi nailed it. Um, it's a 5 out of 5 for me, for sure. Maybe 10 out of 10 on my anime list, but we'll have to see. Um, and in any case, it is definitely anime of the season 2021 for me. 
Um, in fact, it's probably my early contender for anime of the season, anime of the year, twenty twenty one, ahead of whatever was la- whatever was last season. So, yeah, definitely looking and yeah, definitely looking to see if anything can stack up against it. Uh, now, before we wrap up the show, the last two awards to, uh, to we offer are the OP and, and endings of the seasons. Um, OP of the season has a couple of nominees. I'll just go through them quickly. Um, Zombieland Saga has the classic tokusatsu-style fighting theme opening featuring Fransusu. Um, SSSS Dino Zenon does as well um, in the same vein that Gridman did. Uh, Hero not only has the same studio as Zakuchara, but also the same idol group singing the opening song, Dialogue Plus, and uh, their OP was just as infectiously cute. Um, and who could perfect the pu- forget the pure vibes of lo-fi hip-hop uh, to drive to Art Taxi, uh, which the music video also gave some hints to the overall story. Um, but in any case, the, the in the end, the OP of the season for me goes to Vivi Florid Ice song, uh, Sing My Pleasure. Now, not only does the OP make a hell of an impact from its opening notes and melody um, to the visual showcasing which best, um, the song in and of itself does a great job of characterizing Vivi as an idle AI and actually serves relevant relevancy within the plot uh, throughout the series, especially and you know especially when at the beginning of each mini arc, you know we kind of begin uh, with Vivi singing that song diegetically in the story to kind of mark the passage of time. You know, she says, oh, this is a new song. Oh, this is a classic song. And oh, this is archival footage of Vivi singing, right? Like, you know, that's just, I think, a soak of genius right there. So uh, for all of Vivi's flaws I laid out earlier, uh, music was not one of them. On the ending side of things, again, a couple of other competitors as well here. Uh, D4DJ Petite Mix stands out for me, if only because I've been playing that song uh, on the got on the mobile game, uh, rhythm game. Uh, My Hero Academia's ending by the Peggy's, which the one of the only good things to come out of uh, uh, When the Girlfriend, um, is a fun pop rock track with class A1, uh, 1A in their uh, visuals and in casual uh, streetwear drip. Um, Slime Diary, Diary gets an honorable momentum for their whole casting along to little puppets. Um, and, you know, Dino Zenon and Odd, Odd Taxi reappear here once again. With Dino Zenon, soft rock vibe and interesting split visuals, um, being a fun con- cool down to the accent, and Odd Taxi's idol-esque ending uh, being a fun contrast to the dark story we see in the episode. However, once again, uh, Vivi I- Florid Eyes takes the category of ending of the season with their song, Florid Eyes Song. Again, even if you didn't love the ending that Florid that Vivi did, I have to give them props for layering in the themes that they were aiming throughout the entire season uh, into the lyrics of this song, which for most of the season, we only heard the acoustic uh, piano version, um, and the lyrics are only sung in the final episode, and again, has plot relevance uh, with the robot uprising, um, but yeah, like the fact that they were able to pull that together is something I did not see coming and definitely elevated the song in my eyes. So I swear I'm not just giving Vivi both of these awards since I have the anime rated lower. I don't want people to be mad at me. Um, but yeah, they de- Vivi definitely deserves both OP and ending of the season for this season. So yeah, that's the spring 2021 anime season in a nutshell. Uh, sequel anime of the season goes to SSS as Dino Zenon. Uh, sword anime of the season to Yakunara Mug Cupmo. Um, new anime of the season goes to Odd Taxi. And both opening and ending of the season go to Vivi Florid Eyes. Uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen these anime, well, first off, hopefully I didn't spoil you too badly. But secondly, hopefully you now have an idea on what you should go back and check out. 
Um, and hey, if you've watched anime from this season, tell me, what did you watch? Uh, which ones were your favorite and not so favorites? Uh, which of those shows that I've put on hold to definitely go back and check? Did my thoughts line up with yours or did we have different? You know, uh, let me know on Twitter at yetanoanimepod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow my My Anime List at NinjaBoy333, boy with an I. We're found on all the major podcast services, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review or just tell an anime-loving friend about the show. If you want to more directly support us, uh, you can do so on Patreon.com. Links to all of that will be in the show notes. Intro and outro music come from Kevin uh, from uh, Suichi Sakagami at Tanas.com. Uh, editing production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this episode. We air on the first and third Fridays of each month. Uh, next time on yet another anime podcast is going to be the summer 2021 anime season as we go over all of the first episodes or all the first episodes that have aired up to that point. Um, but in any case, until then, see you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>